Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray it acts as an encouragement for you today. Everyone has a story to tell. This Christmas season, we're going to look at different perspectives of people from the Bible and the story they tell of Jesus' birth. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, welcome to Scotts Hill. For those of you who are joining us online or in the Cross Point Center, thank you for joining us virtually. It is good to be with you here and see your faces uh, this morning. We have made it. We have made it to our final Sunday of 2020. That is an accomplishment in its own right. We have also made it to the final week in our series entitled, A Story to Tell. And throughout this series, it has gotten me thinking about what are the types of stories that we tell? You know what I mean? The types of stories that live on year after year. They're passed on generation after generation. And the stories are wide ranging. They're all different, but they do seem to share certain characteristics. They seem to possess certain, certain characteristics. One of those characteristics is that they are, they are powerful stories. These stories are stories of people that have been changed or transformed. Maybe they have changed uh, the course of a person's life or a community's life or even the course of history as we know it. These stories are powerful stories, but they're also trustworthy stories. They're stories that we can believe in. Maybe somebody that we trust has told us this story or Maybe there's some way to verify the truth that they're claiming. There's evidences in history that we can look to. These stories are powerful. They get passed on. They are trustworthy. They get passed on. But they're also emotional stories. There's a lot of highs and lows. There's, maybe they're gripping. In, they grip us with fear. Or maybe they just cloak us in compassion and love. There's always some sort of emotional connection that we get from these stories that are passed on. These are the kinds of stories that get passed on and they live on forever. For me, I think stories like Babe Ruth in the 1923 World Series when he steps up to the plate against Chicago and he points towards center field and then he goes and he hits a home run. It changed the course of, of that World Series. Um, it changed the course of, of Babe Ruth's life. He became a legend after, after doing that. And it can be verified. We know that this actually took place, obviously not from this picture, but we have actual real pictures of him uh, pointing. We have video evidence of him hitting the home run. And it's, I mean, a World Series, it is emotionally thrilling. It's emotionally engaging. Or something a little bit more serious, I think of stories like Pearl Harbor. It changed the course of American history. It changed the course of our own foreign policy, how we thought about things. And there's ample evidence to prove that it really took place in history and incredibly emotional with all of the lives lost. I think of Martin Luther King Jr., being a leader for so much change in the world and in our country in the civil rights movement. We know it's trustworthy because we have seen his, his sermons. We can look at his speeches. We have pictures of the marches that he led. And maybe even 2020 one day will be a story of change and a story that is verifiable in history and a story that is incredibly emotional. All these stories, they, they contain these characteristics, 
But even though they share these characteristics, they don't continue on simply because they possess these characteristics. They don't continue on simply because they are powerful or emotional or trustworthy. They continue on because people actually tell the story. These stories are worth being passed on because of the characteristics that they share, but they only truly continue to live on year after year and generation after generation because people have shared them. Now, what does this have to do with our series that we have been going through, A Story to Tell? Well, we learned last week that the story of Christmas is a story of good news and it's a story of great joy. Pastor Phil said that this story lives on and continues to live on in all of God's people, in each one of us. And this morning we have the opportunity to look deeper at what it means for us to be a part of this story that continues. And what we find is that the story continues because we have a story to tell. The reason the story continues is precisely because God has given us a story to be shared Throughout this series, we have looked at what takes place surrounding the birth of Jesus. And we have seen the miraculous transformation that takes place when the word of God meets the people of God. We saw this when the angels had a message for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And despite their lack of of faith, and he was made mute, despite his lack of faith, they were able to hear the word of God from the mouth of an angel, and they saw a son be born to them who would announce the arrival of the Messiah. We saw this when the angels brought the word to Mary and to Joseph, and despite the difficulty that they had understanding and making sense of the plan that was being given to them, they were transformed, and God used them in the most incredible way, bringing our Savior to the world. We saw this again when the angels brought the word to the shepherds. And even though they were afraid at first, their fear quickly turned into great joy from the good news that they had heard. The angels had been given a message and a story to tell by God, and it transformed those who heard it. But the word did not just come to the world through the mouths of angels. Just two days ago on Christmas, we celebrated the birth of Jesus. And with the birth of Jesus, the pure word being made flesh and coming into the world, we see even more miraculous transformation take place. Transformation that is worth sharing. The story continues because we have a story to tell. And this story is doctrinally powerful. It is historically trustworthy. It is a relational story of belonging and invitation. And it is an emotionally fulfilling story. And we find this as we wrap up our series in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. But before we get into the text, would you go before the Lord with me? Lord, we thank you for who you are. You are a God uh, that loves and a God that communicates. You have given us your word and we seek to steward it well here this morning. I ask that you empower me with boldness as I proclaim the message that you have laid on my heart and that you have put and preserved in your scripture. 
I ask that you do things that only you can do this morning as you work in the minds and in the hearts of everybody here to be more transformed into your glory. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Like I said, we'll be in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bible, grab it. If you have the app, we have all the scriptures and my notes on there for you. You just go to the Bible app, click in the bottom right, hit more, click on events, and we'll have Scotts Hill there for you. If you don't have either, don't worry. Everything will be on the screen for you to follow along. Now, the apostle, the disciple, John, was in a bit of a predicament as he wrote this letter. See, the story of Jesus was continuing. It was being proclaimed. It was being passed on from person to person, and it was being shared. And hundreds, thousands of people were coming to believe in this message. But at the same time, false teachings were entering into God's people. Not too different than the world that we live in right now. And so John starts this letter where he has to start it by laying out the truth about who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. And so that's where you and I must start as well as we seek to be a part of the story that continues. So let's get into it. The first four verses of 1 John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We have four components in these verses that make themselves clear about how this story continues and make themselves clear about the story that we have to tell. And our first component is that we have a doctrinal story to tell. We have a very doctrinal story to tell. Look at verse 1 again. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, seen with our eyes, looked upon, touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The story that we have is a doctrinal story. It's the power that is within the story. I know this word doctrine has been, uh, it's begun to be seen as a bad word in many Christian circles. It's begun to be seen as something that is off-putting or divisive, something that should be let go of instead of held onto tightly. It's labeled as something that is hateful instead of something that is loving. But the story that we have to share, it is a doctrinal story. And the one who walked with Jesus, Jesus since the day that he was called along with his brother, he knew this well because doctrine is simply a belief. It's what you believe. And church, what you believe matters. And if what you believe matters, then doctrine matters. And John is writing to set the story straight about who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. Because if we're wrong about Jesus, then we're wrong about everything. 
And so John points out two specific, specific aspects of doctrine that are vital to the story that continues in you and I. And the first aspect is the eternal nature of Jesus. It is the eternal nature of Jesus. The very first words of John's letter says, That which was from the beginning... It echoes Genesis 1-1, and it echoes the beginning of his gospel when he wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He always was, and he always has been. He had no beginning, and he has no end. The doctrine of Jesus' eternal nature declares that he is God and not just human. It means that he is not only a part of creation, but that he was the creator himself. Today, we hear so many of the same false teachings that were swirling around God's people in John's day. We hear people saying that Jesus was a lesser God. Maybe he was kind of God-like, but he wasn't really as, as God as God. He wasn't really as God as the Father is. That he, maybe he was, he was the first creation and then he created the rest of the world through him. Or we hear that he was just a man. He was a teacher. He was a wise man. Maybe he was even a prophet. Somebody that we should take advice from, but certainly not somebody that we should spend time worshiping. But that is not the story that continues. That is not the story that we have to tell. We have a story that does declare the divinity of Jesus, that he is that which was from the beginning and he is eternal. The first doctrinal aspect is the eternal nature of Jesus, but the second doctrinal aspect is the life-giving nature of Jesus. The final words of verse 1 says what we're talking about. It says it's concerning the word of life. Jesus is the word of life. In Jesus, we have the word of life. We have a doctrinally powerful story because this story concerns Jesus, who is and who brings to us eternal life, life to dead souls. John teaches this importantly again in chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, when he says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. John knew the importance of knowing who Jesus is. We also see in Acts chapter 4 verses 11 and 12. Luke knows this as well when he says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation, life in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Jesus even declared this about himself. If you look in John chapter 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to the woman, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her this question. He says, do you believe this? And I would ask you the same question this morning, church. Do you believe that? Is the person that John is declaring, 
the same person that you worship? Is the Jesus that John is talking about here, is he the Jesus that you know and have a relationship with? Is he the eternal divine son of God? Is he the only way for you to eternal life? Without these doctrines, the story loses its power. The good news loses its goodness. One of my favorite games to play is Jenga. You know the game? Very simple. Three stacked blocks all on top of each other. And the object of the game is you go one by one, pulling a block out. And you don't want to be the person that makes the whole stack tumble over. But when inevitably, whenever I play this game, it always gets to a point pretty much where this guy is right now, where it's all just balancing on one single block, or there's a couple instances where it's just balancing on one single block. And maybe I play with a lot of uh, prideful people or just maybe people that don't have a lot of patience, and they always think that they could just take that one block out and it won't fall over. Like maybe I can just pull, do the old uh, tablecloth thing and I'll whip it out real fast and all the china will be left there. Maybe I can just move it, I'll cut it out real quick, and the whole stack will stay standing. Throughout history, there have been people who have tried this with the story that we have to tell. They want to take the doctrine of who Jesus is and what he comes to bring out of the story, but they want to keep the rest of the stack standing. They want to change what is told about who Jesus is, but keep the rest. And the reality is you can't do that. If you take Jesus out, the whole stack, the whole story tumbles down. He is the eternal son of God and life is found only in him. That's why Paul could so boldly say to the Corinthians that he has decided to know nothing among them except Jesus and him crucified. Why could he say that? Because that is the power of the story that we tell. The word of life is both the person of Jesus and the message of Jesus. They are inseparable. We have a doctrinal story to tell. But not only that, the second component is that we have a historical story to tell. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This eternal word and this life-giving word is not only doctrinally powerful, but it is historically trustworthy. The eternal word of life was made manifest. What does that mean to make something manifest? It means that it has been openly revealed. That's what makes Christmas so special, that God became human and revealed himself to the world. The story is historically trustworthy because it has been revealed to us, made manifest for all to see. God had spoken through creation, but Romans 1 tells us that creation alone is not enough to bring eternal life. He spoke to the fathers of old through the prophets, but it was in bits and pieces. It was in fragments and parts of a whole. But when Jesus came into the world in history, in real time, when he was made manifest, the word was being spoken fully for all to see. Hebrews 1 says it this way. Long ago, 
at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the world by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The word of life became tangible. The word of life who had created all things became a part of creation. And God had revealed himself to the world. The life of Jesus is no mere legend. It is historically trustworthy. We have a historical story to tell because God was revealed and we have a historical story to tell because God was experienced. So there was time in all of our lives, at least there was for me, when the words once upon a time were very welcomed words. I used to love for my mom and I to get together and we would launch ourselves into this imaginary world, whether it was some Disney movie or a favorite book. I would love to hear the story and I would always imagine being part of it and always the hero, right? Always the hero. I was the one who slayed the dragon. I was the one who saved the world. I was the one who got the girl. I was the one who hit the game-winning home run or the buzzer-beating jump shot. That was for me. I was the one who did that. But over time, those once-upon-a-time stories, uh, they just weren't good enough for me anymore. They weren't cutting it. I wanted the real thing. I didn't want the imaginary or even the feel-good stuff. I wanted something that was real. And when I started wanting something that was real, I started needing to know if I could trust it or not. If I could trust what was being told to me. And for all of us in here this morning, figuring out if something is trustworthy is no easy task in 2020. And I think we often don't even realize how many times we are trying to discern and, and figure out if something is worth our attention or is trustworthy for us. We do it. We just came out of the Christmas season when thousands of products are being marketed to us, telling them that they do this or they'll make our life so much better or whatever the case may be. And we're trying to discern, is this real? Is this trustworthy what they're saying to us or is it not? It makes me think of a scene in the movie Elf. I know we're past Christmas, but bear with me. When Buddy the Elf is coming from the North Pole and he's down into New York City and he walks past this diner and it says in the front, neon sign, world's best cup of coffee. And he runs into the diner and he says, you did it. Congratulations, the world's best cup of coffee. Way to go, guys. It's great to be here. And then he walks out. And eventually he starts getting into this relationship with the girl. I forget her name, but she's played by Zoe Deschanel. And he takes her on this date and he blindfolds her. And he takes her to this diner and he has her sit down and he puts a cup of coffee under her. And he says, hey, try this. And she takes a sip of it and she says, it just tastes like a crappy cup of coffee. And then he takes, she takes the blindfold off and she says, it is. That's what it is. It's a crappy cup of coffee. And he says, no, no, you don't understand. This is the world's best cup of coffee. He was blindly trusting. But we can't afford to do that. We cannot afford to do that. We need something that is historically trustworthy. We want the real thing. And when we tell our story of Jesus to the world, they want to know if it's real or not, too. 
They need to know that it is a historically trustworthy story. And we know our story can be trusted because it was revealed. And not just that, it was experienced. The story is historically trustworthy because it was experienced. John was an eyewitness. He is a trustworthy source of information for us. The word became flesh and it transformed his life. He went from being a fisher of fish to a fisher of men. And John says, listen to me, this life that was made manifest, this Jesus who was revealed, I have seen him. I have heard him. I have touched him with my own two hands. We know this to be true as we look at other verses. John had seen Jesus in all of his glory. In Matthew 17, when he says, I, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. He saw Jesus in all of his glory. But not only did he see him, he also heard him preach and teach for over three years. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus, seeing the crowds, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. John was able to see this manifested word of life, hear his teachings, and that's one thing. But it's a totally different thing to be able to touch. He even touched Jesus with his own hands, and not just during his three years of ministry. He touched him after he was resurrected. Look at John, or excuse me, Luke chapter 24, 36 through 40, when it says, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened because they thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And John and the rest of the disciples were able to touch this resurrected word of life. The story continues because we have a story to tell. A story that is doctrinally powerful. A story that is historically trustworthy. And the third component of our story is that we have a relational story to tell. It's not just some cold truth. It's not just some strictly factual tale that we keep on telling. It's relational. Verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It is a relational story because it brings belonging. It's a relational story because it brings belonging. This word fellowship in the Greek, koinonia, it means having something in common with people. And the story that we tell is one that gives people something in common with one another. It causes people to feel a sense of belonging. It brings people into belonging with God's family. But not only that, even more beautifully, it brings people into a sense of belonging with God the Father and His Son. It's a story that once you believe it, you begin having something in common with God's people and God Himself. I can remember feeling the, a sense of belonging that I had with my basketball team my senior year of high school. You guys who have participated in sports, you understand what I'm talking about. 
Whenever we would break from the huddle, we would always say family because that's what we had become. We had become a family. The conversations in the locker room, all of the bus rides, the shared set of values and goals that we possessed, the triumph in our victories, the sting of the losses that all took place alongside one another. Nobody could really understand on the outside because they didn't belong. They had not gone through what we had gone through or shared what we shared. It was basketball and it was baseball for me, but for others of you, it may be something different. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's hunting. I can't tell you the first thing about hunting. I can barely fish. I don't know anything about tracking or sense or blinds or stands. I can read, but I don't really know what those words mean. I can't tell you what's legal or illegal, nothing. But you guys who have hunted and you guys who hunt and have done that together, you share a sense of belonging with one another. You have that in common. Maybe for some of you, it's another hobby. Maybe it's film or photography. I was in my connect group just this past week, uh, and two guys were talking about photography stuff. They were talking about lenses and, and different shots you can take, and I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. But if you keep your mouth shut just a little bit, you can start to fool people into thinking that you belong in that conversation. I didn't listen to that advice. I started speaking as soon as I heard something. I thought I knew what they were talking about. And immediately, they were so nice, but immediately they, I just got this look like, you don't belong in this conversation. And I didn't. I didn't belong in it because I didn't know what they were talking about. I did not have that in common with them. But when it comes to fellowship and belonging, when it comes to the relationship component of the story that continues in you and I, the story that we have to tell, it's not about what you're good at or what you like. It's not about ability or affinity. It's about adoption. The story that we tell is a relational story because we tell people how they can be adopted into the family of God. We can belong with God's people and with God himself because he adopts us as his children. And we are considered co-heirs with Jesus now and forever. And when he adopts us as his children, we become partakers of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift given to those who believe and submit to this story that continues. Look, I look out into the congregation and I can see honestly that I would really have no real belonging with many of you if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit that unites us now and eternally as brothers and as sisters. For the believer, you have fellowship with God's people and you have fellowship with God himself. It's a relational story because it brings belonging, but it's also a relational story because it is inviting it's a relational story because it is inviting. People do not just wander their way into the family of God. As Phil said last week, it has to be pursued, but a person can only pursue it if it has been proclaimed to them. That's why John says that he is proclaiming this story. It is so that they can have fellowship with him. That's why Romans 10 says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's for everybody. This belonging can be for everybody. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear 
without somebody preaching, somebody teaching, somebody sharing the story that we have to tell. The story continues because we have a story to tell. It's a story about broken humanity who rejected the kingship of God. A story about God wanting to redeem those people and loving them and wanting to call them into relationship. A story about the eternal and the divine Son of God coming to bring eternal life. And that word of life coming, living a perfect sinless life, yet dying a sinner's death for you and for me. It's a story about Jesus, the Son of God, being raised to life by the Holy Spirit, proving that he conquered death and proving that he is the way and the truth and the life. And it's a story that we are all called to proclaim until he comes again in glory. We invite people into belonging with this story. We have a doctrinal story, a historical story, a relational story. But lastly, we have a fulfilling story to tell. Look at verse 4. What happens when he writes? We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John is writing this so that his joy can be complete. Like one of the things that I have to confess to you is getting sucked into wasting my time on social media. For you guys who have, uh, you have iPhones, you get a report every week. How much, time, how much you're on the screen? Mine just seems to creep up and up and up every week. And it's mostly because of these things on Instagram called Reels. Maybe you know what a TikTok is, but you can post TikToks on Instagram Reels. I don't have TikTok, so I'm not quite yet to the point where I crave it, where I'm doing something else and then I want to go get on an Instagram Reel. But once you get me on Instagram Reels, I can waste minutes, hours even, if I'm not careful, just scrolling through these videos. I get sucked into them. And whether it's Instagram for you or not, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. It could be YouTube. It could be your favorite food. It could be a TV show or whatever. For me, it's these short Instagram videos. And I get sucked into watching them. And I find them hilarious. That's why I watch them. I find them absolutely hilarious. I get, start getting those really good laughs where you can't hardly breathe and I'm trying to catch my breath. But it never stops. My joy in these never stops with my own watching the videos. I always have to send them to somebody in a DM. I send them to Tucker Kelly, our student pastor, or I send them to my old college roommates, or most of the time I send them to my wife. Because there's just something about sharing it with someone that completes the enjoyment for me of that video. Maybe you are like me and it's these Instagram reels. Maybe it's food or your TV show. You just want to share that enjoyment with somebody and tell them about how much you love it. But there's something fulfilling about sharing the joy we get from these things with other people. And this should never be more true than with Jesus and his message. The story of Christmas continues. The word was given to angels to be passed on to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, to Mary and to Joseph, to the shepherds out in the field. That is true. But the word himself became flesh and made himself known to the disciples. And that story continues in you and in me. Because that is a story worth telling. It is a doctrinally powerful story one of eternal life and of the Son of God coming into this world. 
It is a historically trustworthy story, one that can be verified. Life was made manifest. It was revealed for all the world to see, and he was experienced. It is also a relational story of belonging and invitation. We share this story with people. We proclaim it to others so that they can belong, not just now, but in eternity, with us and with the Father. Doctrinally powerful, historically trustworthy, relational, and it is an emotionally fulfilling story. Our joy is made complete. If you have not felt the joy of sharing the gospel and the story of Jesus with people, I encourage you to find it. Share the story and feel the joy, the extra joy that you get from sharing the message of Jesus. It began with the apostles and the disciples, and because of their faithfulness, it has been passed down to you and I. Church, if you're looking for a resolution to round out your list of 2021 resolutions, let me advocate for this one. Tell the story. Tell the story in 2021. The story of Christmas, the story of Jesus and his message. It's not just meant to be read once a year in December. It's not just a story that we hear during the Christmas season. It's not just a story even to understand so that we can get our small group questions right. It's not even a story just to believe. The demons believe. It is more than that. It is a story that we are to tell. It's a story to tell. So many things have changed for us this year. We don't have to go through the list of cultural shifts in the political landscape and the like. So many things have changed for us even here at Scotts Hill. We've had staff leave. We've had new staff come. We've moved away from ministries. We've launched new ministries. Things look a bit different here in these final days of 2020 than they did in 2019. Let me tell you what has never changed. What has never changed is who we are as the local expression of the body of Christ here at Scotts Hill. We haven't swayed, we haven't shifted, we haven't migrated, we haven't moved, we haven't diverted. We have not deviated from who we are at Scotts Hill. We join God in his work of transforming lives. It's who we were were in 2019. It's who we've been in 2020. And it's who we're going to be in 2021. And nothing transforms like telling this story. Nothing transforms like sharing the message of Jesus and the eternal life that he brings. The story continues because we have a story to tell. Let's tell that story. Even today, we have an opportunity to worship our King. After this message, our Savior Jesus, He is not just a wise man. He was not just a teacher. He's not just somebody to take advice from. He is worthy of our worship, and glory belongs to Him alone. And so I would ask that you pray with me now and then let us worship together. And then we can go tell this story. Lord, thank you, for, <clears throat> thank you for your son. Thank you for your son that you sent in your love and, and out of your love that you would desire us, even though we left 
you, that we wanted to rule our own way and be our own bosses and our own masters. You have loved us so deeply, even after we rejected you, that you sent Jesus Christ, that you sent your son, the word of life, to bring to us eternal life. We thank you for that truth, and we thank you for the blessing and the mercy it is that you would even allow us to be a part of this story, that you would allow us to continue this story. And that's what we ask that you do in us in these following days, that you would embolden us and encourage us and give us opportunity to be a people that tell this story, this story that we have to tell that we would proclaim this story so that those who hear it have the opportunity to believe and belong, not just with us, but with you in eternity. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Scotts Hill Podcast. Thank you to those who continue to give generously to this ministry. If you want more information about Scotts Hill, how to get connected in your community, or if you just want to know more about Jesus, visit scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it on your social media stories, whatever you want to do. Just make sure you tag us at Scotts Hill. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.